Welcome to season four, episode 10 of What It Happened Was. I'm your host, Open Mike Eagle. We are in the home stretch on this episode. We begin the final anime arc of this season, telling the story of the first four Roots albums. As we get into the story of the Roots Breakthrough Project, things fall apart. This began the group's rise to national prominence, and according to this story, it starts with a strategy. The strategy, as described by Questlove, is grow your own crops. Fucking fascinating. I'm going to let Questlove explain it, though. Speaking of explanations, I'm on tour. As of today, Wednesday, December 13th, if you're listening to this on the day it's released, I am in Boston tonight. And we got Hamden, Connecticut, Miami, and Orlando to go. PeteMikeEagle.net for details. The show is part of the Stony Island Audio Podcast Network, the home for hip-hop shows you can actually listen to. Including stories about songs with Kevin Beecham, The Questions Hip-Hop Trivia Podcast, and more. Support this podcast by using the codes in the ads or leaving us a 50,000 star rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to. And with that, we begin part one of Things Fall Apart. There will be two more parts. Y'all gonna get these cliffhangers. Halfway through the podcast. Philadelphia Half-Life. Pick up a flashlight, thick as a mag light on the last album, ripping the bagpipes. And this is the half-life, the grind like the lip of a half-pipe, and sharp like the tip of stalactites. They wasn't clones, though, they punching your nose bone. The roots roll tight like it's turbo and ozone. No toast price like them all on the roads, though. Blind the devil with the bold black and gold shine. Travel through the you and verse with the calm sense. The bomb shit give us five stars for the content. Push up the ladder to contend with the darkness. This is what it happened was. Open Mike Eagle and Quest Love for the Illadelf half stories. This is the plug to have the roots. Got it all out the mud. Once a- this is your host, Open Mike Eagle. Century, season four, what it happened was. This is part three. Illadelf half life. We keep changing the theme. It's like the anime. Something traumatic happens. We'll get back into it in one second, but I need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor, DistroKid. Man, so many of my homies use DistroKid. It's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least 100 of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. All right. Well, another 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 <laughs> our <good>. loquacious <laughs> nonsense another good creation uh agc yeah 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 just want to say for you being the busiest man in showbiz that we appreciate the time you've taken to give us all of this wonderful rap music and black man history gold <laughs> okay I'm, I'm gonna tell you why it's important because um Right now, I'm working on a whole bunch of product uh, projects. Oh, imagine that! You're yeah. working on a whole bunch of projects. 
<laughs> I'm working on all these projects, and um, I've noticed that the memory really gets selective and starts getting spotty around 65. So, you know, it's important. I'm certain my manager's like, why are you giving open mic yep. all these gold stories? But that's not, it's those just, aren't the exact words they use in the emails, but I hear that behind them. Right. But my, my thing is that, you know, especially in hip hop, people my age, you know, kind of eschew or, or try to duck and dodge their history because they feel like, ah, this means I'm old or that sort of thing. And then, then you're me asking a 82 year older, Hey, tell me what it was like recording Dance to the Music. And then it's like, I don't know, we just came in the studio and had fun. <laughs> so I rather <laughs> to me, this this show is uh is hip hop therapy, man. Like, good example is I'm I'm reading um Dante Ross's book right now, and I just got to the Everlast chapter. Like, to me, it was that the whole canon of season two was just gold hearing uh his what had happened was um episode but to also read that book knowing so i I feel like this show is like hopefully going to coax people out out of their caves and i hope so share their stories and and, uh, i gotta say for you it's been a different kind of pleasure because i can say for the first three seasons of this show i've had guests who to varying degrees you could tell is like difficult for them to look back and not Mm -hmm. because of any mental faculties but just that the way that their creativity seems to work is that they hyper focus on right now yeah and also um i feel like the hip-hop nation isn't too keen on looking in the rearview mirror only if competition's behind them Mm. hey let me see who's behind oh no (laughs) kanye west no (laughs) you know That's uh, that's mean 2004, but um, (laughs) (laughs) no, but I, I don't know. I I think oftentimes people don't think that what they're doing is historical. That, that was the, that was the sort of the, the prevalent theme of what it was like to helm the hip hop 50 Grammy thing. I got a lot of, I'm good dog. I don't give a fuck. I'm like, yo, legacy and honor. And we have a seat at the table. I'm cool, dog. Like I got this college gig. Like you know, we're 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 bird in the hand beats two in the bush. We're hustling, we're scheming and surviving, and we're really not thinking about history and all those things. So hopefully, I feel like the the paradigm shift is happening where we uh, are less in fight or flight mode and trying to survive and that sort of thing, and really just take time out to breathe and look at the accomplishments we. We had. So. Except the flowers. Except the flowers. And I'm a person notoriously known for ducking flowers. Well, you you sat in the face. This is confrontational for you then. This is immersive. This is therapy for me, it's man. Immersive. This is how, this is how me grow it's as a flowers. person. Flowers. Every episode, flowers. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, the flowers were given specifically, specifically in this episode is for The Roots' uh, fourth canon album. The Breakthrough. Yeah. Things fall apart. Check it out. Released February 23rd, 99, in the wake of Half Life. And last week we left off. Uh, that album was just released, and since it was such a departure from the sound that y'all had established with the album before, I'm very curious of what your memory was like of the reception of Philadelphia Half Life before we get into things fall apart. There was hope. There was hope in the air. Like, is this the one? Is this our turn? Um, I'm going to tell you, man. Uh, every Roots album I've done probably maybe up until rising down i would write a mock record review of and i didn't know about like manifesting and being a vision all that stuff but for me it was just like when when we do an album 
I got to see it. And so I'll say that the 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 beginning of every Roots album starts with the end of the last album. So there was there was hope in the air that what they do was really going to push us right over the top. And for the most part, it did. I'll say that, um, you know, things fall apart. The initial sound scan numbers were uh, low 300,000. Not exactly gold, but, you know, it was like, it's a start. Right. We We weren't. Fat Beats Underground only sold twenty thousand this <laughs> right. week, um, so there was there was hope in the air that this is going to be the one. Now, the thing is, is that the last single from Illadelph Half Life, while kind of a breakthrough moment for us artistically and commercially, in terms of like getting some radio play, video play that that's not the box yeah. or. <laughs> Yom TV raps, mm-hmm. which by this point was off the air. But it's also kind of slightly marred with the fact that we left a somewhat of a stain on our relationship with with Biggie. Me not fully knowing that the video we just released is a direct reference to One More Chance. His One More Chance video. And when confronted uh by the Source magazine to give a statement, which I took 24 hours to do. Uh, Selwyn Hines asked me to craft something to write in the source on March 8th. And I'm in Paris. Right. And the morning of March 9th in, in, uh, in Paris, like, you know, 11 in the morning, which should be, uh, I guess maybe 4 AM New York time, which means that it's 1 AM LA time. I'm just getting the news that Biggie died an hour ago and that messed with me so hard so it's almost like i immediately took what they do out of rotation like we didn't do it you didn't play a lot yeah because even though i knew my intentions was never to to bust shots at biggie the general world doesn't know that you know what i mean and so because plus they think that that was our shot back at him because of his lisp in the Flavor in Your Ear remix, um, he's given a, a reference to the the Gooch, who was Arnold's uh, nemesis on different strokes. And But we never, sort of like uh, Snuffleupagus, ask your parents, kids. Sort of like Snuffleupagus, the Gooch was a character that we never, never saw, saw yeah. on different strokes. So he was like, more Guns N' Roses, uh, invisible bully like the Gooch. Man, I get more butt than ashtrays. Fuck a fair one, I get mine the fast way. Ski mask way, nigga ransom notes. Far from handsome, but damn a nigga tote much. More guns than roses, foes is shaking in their boots. A visible bully, like the gooch disappear. Van Moose, you whack to me. Take them rhymes back to the factory. And then he goes off on this, like, your, re- your freestyle's whack to me. So people just started saying the roots. And so, oh. yeah, Tariq even called Bad Boy, like, Hello? <laughs> and I'm like, Reek, yo, dude, he's talking about the gooch on different strokes. like, And they cleared it up. So, But the general public didn't know that. You know Damn, what I'm saying? okay. So uh, we thought we were going to go gold, and we didn't. But it was, it, was, it was also not discouraging. We were doing, like, bigger nightclubs. You know, we started out just as, like, playing empty bars and... You're playing for the bouncers and the the bar staff, and then they tell their friends. Now you're playing, you know, club capacity might be 2,000, and it's 700 people. But now, you know, those 700 people have told at least 10 people, so now we we can play 3,000 to, to 5,000. Like, and they know the words. And, yeah, yeah, so we, we have an absolute following. And so not to mention the kind of, fight or flight mode that I was in um, in terms of being told we want to make this a traditional hip hop record and less jazzy and cutesy that do you want more was, um, which I was absolutely against. It wound up being a, a cohesive record. So we just basically toured and toured more. And I also started the seed planning for, I guess now you could say that I'm a universe that has two, planets or i'm a planet that has two moons which is the roots 
and now Quest Love, which wasn't a thing where it, it wasn't like I was in the mirror at the beginning of uh, uh, Eight Mile. Like, <laughs> yo, I got to do this. Just trying like, out different ways to put the Afro pick. Like, yeah, it was just that <laughs> I I knew I wanted to find my tribe. Right, musically. Yeah, musically. Like, where where are my friends? Where where's my circle of eight? You know, Common seems like he's gonna be cool, and Dela's cool, and you know, Tip is now opening up and record shopping and all and that stuff. And you met Dilla at this point already. Yeah. So we we th- so I'll say that probably uh, in touring the biggest tour that we've done previously, we do like you know sixty percent Europe. 20% American colleges, 20% someone's going to let us open for them. And now, finally, it's Philadelphia Half-Life is allowing us to tip the scales a little bit. So now it's 55% in the States, which, you know, more clubs, more opening up for other acts. People are getting hip to us. And I'll say that uh, that really starts with opening for the Fugees on the score tour. And because... They're becoming the darlings of 1996 and 97. All those luminaries are there to see the Fugees are seeing their really great opening act, The Roots. So we're absolutely relentless. No spot, no wrinkle. So as a result, they land uh, one of the first black festivals in our lap, which is something called Smoking Grooves. Oh, yes. The legendary Smoking Grooves tour. Do you have any idea where this name came from? Well, it was a lot of conversations. <laughs> I was watching Jim Carrey's show. Something. Smoking. Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, great groove, you know? Yeah, really hip groove. Tomorrow, people, where for me, it's like it's like having tickets to see the Chicago Bulls every day. You know, I get to see all my favorite bands: Buster, Tribe, Fuji, Ziggy. We all the hip hoppers at. We all the hip hoppers at up in here. Yeah. So, and it's a nice balance. It's it's kind of weird because on that bill. Foxy Brown, by the numbers, is the biggest selling artist, but like she's the opening act. She's brand new. She, you know, she's doing like 15 minutes. You know what I mean? There's uh Outcast. Uh, there's Erica Badu, a, a pregnant Erica Badu. There's brand new heavies. And so we're like playing sheds now and really, really finding out our audience in the United States. Those college kids, those nerdy black kids, those those people that, you know, everyone, every demographics, not just coffee shop chicks and white dudes, as Common says. Peace to us collectively, live and direct when we perform. It's just coffee shop chicks and white dudes. Over her, I got into it with that nigga Ice Cube. Not a fight move to in life, making the right moves. Besides God and family, you my life's true. Like that, like that. So when we get to Detroit, 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 Detroit. Finally, I've heard about the legend of Dilla since uh, Skills put us on to him in the tour bus and that sort of thing. So um, I will say that the the first thing that really, really sparks off the movement to not only things fall apart, but also for the Soul Quarian movement. And basically, the kind of sound that we will have pioneered 
I'll say that our zone is between 97 and really the end of that Soulquarian kind of sound. Even though it never died, I'll say like it ends with Commons Electric Circus. So I'll say like 2003. In the rhythm, experience speaks. I'm keeping the wisdom, the life hustlers seek. I'm seeking it with them. I'm dope, the streets need me to hit them. So, 97 to 2003, and even though we're not going to get the gold, my manager Rich finally knows what we have to do that we didn't do it on organics, that we didn't do on Do You Want More and Illidale of Half Life. And he's like, We got to grow our own crops. And I was like, Well, what do you mean? And he's like, He's like, with the exception of the one-hit wonder, uh, the Tiny Tims of the world, the dudes that sing Macarena, everyone is contextualized in a movement. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, you think you like Stevie Wonder, but you're really buying into the myth of Motown. You can't have Stevie Wonder without the Jackson 5, Diana, Marvin, Smokey. And then he's like, he's like, look at you. You like Prince, but you know good and well that anything that Prince was six degree of... You got to buy The Family, Sheila E., Morris Day, all them guys, and then whoever they produced and whoever they produced and whoever they produced. And he went through the the Blue Note jazz roster, same thing, like whoever they worked with, whoever they worked with. And he brought it to modern times, like TRL was on at the time. And he's like, look at TRL. Like, all them kids come from Orlando. So Backstreet, you think of Backstreet, yeah, uh, yeah, Christina Aguilera and Britney and, and... they're all contextualized. And I thought about it. I was like, oh, you're right. He's like the bad boy sound. And so he's like, we're basically an oasis. We are, we're a musical component without our own squad. There's no context to put y'all in. Right. Like who, who, who's our dog pound? Mm-hmm. Who's our Snoop? Who's our Dre? You know, who's like, who's our Tupac? If we were death row or if bad boy, whatever. So he's like, we basically got to take everything that we've learned in the last, everything that you've learned in the last 10 years since you and Tariq met in 1987, we got to revisit it and refine it. So all the things that were good in the last 10 years, let's make a list of it. So as a result, probably the, the most impactful tangent education that we had living in London when we... Uh, exiled to to London back in 93 to to 96 or whatever, was the jam session. Uh, There was a club named Mycenae, three-level club in London every Saturday night. Signed a commercial R&B on the floor. Mid-floor was like uh, esoteric house and and like old-school breaks and, you know, rare grooves and stuff like that. And on the top floor, it was a band's jamming. And so we were like, we got to do that. So when we started refocusing uh, our contract, we told the label that we need a budget. Um, They're like, well, who's Terry? Who's Chef Terry? Da, 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 da. And uh, Terry was this guy that worked at um, um, one of these, like, I think this is before the the talk of, like, you know, James Beard award-winning chef and, you know, uh, a Michelin star restaurant. We, we had a Michelin star restaurant called Le Bec Finn in Philadelphia. It was like a French bistro thing. I think he started out there and then he became head chef somewhere else. But, you know, it was kind of a, a thing for like this black chef to be running a kitchen like that. So we told him like, yo, on Friday nights, can you come to Amir's house and cook food? Because food is the language that will draw every broke artist in in the city. Oh my God. And so I was like, go ahead, Rich. He's like, yeah, we'll use Chef Terry to cook all this food. And then all the musicians of Philadelphia are going to come by your house, expect a free food. And they will be like, gotcha. Here's some instruments. Let's have a jam session. Yeah. And this is kind of the seeds where the jam session that will eventually morph into what we call Black Lily. It was the Roots Jam Sessions while we were making things fall apart. Then it morphed into Black Lily because now we had to tour. We immediately went on tour as soon as Things Fall Apart came out. That that night was really important. That that night, uh, I remember Slim Shady coming out 
the same yeah, day. Yeah, yes, that was the big thing on my campus. Slim Shady and TLC's uh, fan mail album. Yeah. The one with no scrubs on it. That came out. Same day. And that's also the night that Lauren Hill won. The day that things fall apart came out. That's the night that she won those eight Grammys. And the album of the year is The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill. Um, Amen. Wow. And she was on the cover of Time Magazine, and Christopher John Farley wrote this really, like, glowing, optimistic view of hip-hop's future. Like, Lauren's leading the way, and there's other groups like Lauren, like this group from Philly called The Roots. So we're we're, we're getting that, that... The association's happening. Yeah, that, that osmosis magic is instantly happening. So it was like Lauren's success was our success. And Rich was like, we got to prepare for it. So let's let's start growing our own crops. So Sunday nights, we would have jam sessions at Wetlands, the infamous spot where uh, last episode where I had the, the Diddy run in. Yeah, the, the lyricist lounge the, the story. Lyricist, yeah, the whole what they do thing. Then uh, Friday nights, there's a jam session in my living room in South Philadelphia. I coincidentally lived on the same block that M. Night Shyamalan decided that he was going to shoot his debut film called uh, The Sixth Sense. Weird enough, like, we get home from tour. It's six in the morning. It was a red eye. Woke up, and the driver's, like, dropping me off in the back of my house instead of the front of my house. I'm like, why'd you do that? Uh, Anyway, so I go upstairs. This is the day that Clinton had to do his first deposition. uh, On On a Monica Lewinsky, yeah. So I, like... Went straight to my room, got in bed, watched it for a little bit, <clears throat> fell asleep. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. 4 p.m., decided to get running, get a cheesesteak real quick, ran outside, looked. White kid runs by and everything. Excuse me, is your name Bruce? Cut, cut. It's like, what? And I realized, <laughs> I realized that that scene where Bruce Willis first sees uh, Haley Joel like running down the block, like I just interrupted that thing. Wow! And I missed the memo of like residents, please do not you know, like leave the front. You know it, they've been fully operational for like three weeks. I'm just getting home, had no idea they're shooting a movie on my block, and I'm looking like, whoa! Like That's crazy. all the all the dilapidated abandoned houses are now fixed, and it's beautiful. And and M Night Shyamalan's like Questlove, and <laughs> it's. That's how it starts. So that's the block I lived on. Friday nights, my manager's like, okay, jam session at the crib. So I was cool with it, but it's also like I have thin walls. And they were already like during the Illadelph Half-Life period, like sort of like passive aggressively yeah. let me know like. That it's too loud in there. Ooh, yeah, y'all. Y'all worked on music till uh, always till three in the morning like yeah. that? <laughs> ah, I'm sorry. Okay, I promise to close the window and, you know, that you know that sort of thing. So, you know, Rich promised me that, you know, we'll start at five and we'll end at nine. Right. Hell no. Come on. So, I'll say the first two weeks it was cool. But then, like, it just became so overcrowded. And the thing is, literally anyone and everyone who's in that living room will be impactful in history. You know, the 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 basis of it is the roots, um, the jazzy fat nasties. Our tour manager, New Jahan, had a group three seven thousand nine. Uh, Fatine, who uh, was, you know, will later start Kindred, the family soul. So many times you could have walked away, but I didn't have to say a word to convince you to stay. He's there. He has no clue that his future wife, Asia, uh, who was uh, signed to uh, Paul's label, uh, uh, Delicious Vinyl. You know, it was like Brandy Monica fever. Like, let's find the new 16-year-old 
R&B sensation person, so she's there. And then, suddenly, you know, just bit by bit, like, our friends are like, you know, well, my homegirl who works at uh, Blah 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 on South Street, she sings and all that stuff, and oh, yeah, yeah, let her come by. And that's Jill Scott. Suddenly, uh, this really weirdo eccentric ninth grader is making these crazy, like primitive. I guess he's scatting. I guess he's singing. It looks like performance art. His name is Bilal. Lau's there. Fatine's like, yo, our homegirl uh, from Atlanta is going to visit a little bit. She plays like acoustic guitar. So for a few occasions, NDRE's there. I always, I hate revisiting these jam sessions because I know I always leave somebody out. Of course, out. of course. But... You know, and then the esoteric side is there, but now, like, the Malik element's there. I see. You know, and we would call these gentlemen thugs. But, you know, Malik is like, Bringing his South Philly well, and, squad and, there. You know, and I meant to touch on this last time we talked, too, because there is something about Malik that is, like, it it invokes this long line of, like, Philly street rappers that are, like, absurdly technically gifted. You know what I'm saying? You got mm -hmm. the Beanie Seagulls. Uh, oh, man, I had, a, I had a list prepared, but, like... And by the way, that's who I'm talking about, thugs. Like, Malik's, like, bringing in... I'm complaining because I'm like, yo, why are you guys putting your... You remember Beaties? Yeah, like, I remember before... I was telling somebody about <laughs> Beaties the other day, and they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, I, I used to make fun. Like, there's now there's now the, the millennial set who's, like, now in their mid-30s, almost early 40s. And, you know, they're, like, the college kids that were, like, in hookah, bar, hookah bars, like, forever. And I'm like, oh, God, you hookah motherfucker. Well, your generation was smoking Beaties, like... It's like diet weed. Yeah. Like, it's like you know smoking I mean? incense. It was crazy. Right. Yeah. It might as well be smoking incense. But, you know, so suddenly, like, I'm Reggie Hammond and uh, trading places. Like, who's putting out they blunts on my floor? <laughs> who's putting out they blunts on my floor? And it's Beanie. Uh, Freeway. Freeway. Right. Chris exactly. So basically okay. who we now know as, like. State property. The state property yeah. pets. And they're there. The most ridiculous irony of it all. Let's cut to like four months later. Where it's to the point where this might not be fun for me anymore. Because mm -hmm. now... It's in your house. It's in my house. Um, it's going to three in the morning. Right. People going outside, talking loud. I'm like, yo, I got neighbors. And it's to the point where I'm calling the cops on myself. Get out of here. I'm, I'm the original Karen. <laughs> I am... I'm calling the cops on your house, buddy. I'm getting... Yes, there's a disturbance at Turner St. Albans Place in South Philadelphia. And they're like, uh, you're calling from the address that you're talking about. <laughs> the call I'm like, across coming. the street. At da -da 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 -da. <laughs> like, I'm not too bright on that thing. I'm like forgetting that they have like tracers and whatnot. So I'm like calling the cops on myself, trying to get my that house cleared so out. Funny. Waking up the next day, like it's like a kegger after kegger after yeah. kegger. And I'm like, yo, man, y'all got to get this. We got to get this out of my house into somewhere else. Because, yeah. you know, the at, at its most ridiculous, you know, Kilo's boy's daughter's best friend 
you know, some nine, 10 year old girl that allegedly has a, a, a voice like an adult. And I'm like, no, we can't let no kids in this house. And no, man, but she's talented. She's only 10 years old. And, you know, Jasmine Sullivan. Okay. With that same goddamn voice. That's crazy. The voice of an adult. And when we run out of food, you know, so suddenly now the pizza guy, what's going on in here? Oh, can I, can I get on the mic? Whoa. And it was sort of like, wait, what the hell is he doing here? The, the pizza guys are like, are we a talent show now? <laughs> Music soul child. Oh, so, shit. Girl, I know this might seem strange, but let me know if I'm out of order. But to me, it's it's now out of hand. So I got two worlds I got to serve. I got this world, but then I also have voodoo world. So my epicenter in uh, at Electric Lady Studios with D'Angelo is also drawing in like-minded uh, artists and whatnot. So I'm like caught between two universes. And y'all are you recording Things Fall Apart and do voodoo at the same time? So... I will say that Voodoo started on the last day of Illadelph Half-Life. We did the hypnotic. And I, I finally got him to admit this years later. I hope I ain't blown up his spot. D and and Time are not mutually acquainted. <laughs> and I will say the only time that motherfucker was like, meet me, was he was on the phone. I was like, yeah, man. So, you know, um, Anytime you want to come down and start working on the hypnotic or whatever, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, we, we can set time, whatever. I said, it's cool. I said, well, no time for, no need to do it this week because, you know, we're still like working on other stuff on our thing. And then, um, oh, I forgot to mention, we're, we're, um, we're going to start work with, um, um, with Erica. We're, we're starting her record. So she down here too. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> she down there too? I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, so we're working on. <laughs> Wait, are you at the front door? Wait, you were just in New York one oh second ago, my right? God. Motherfucker was like, like three hours later. Wow. Like, what are you doing here? And nah, you know, just came down, catch a vibe. It, I will say that the everything that you've ever heard about the Erica Badu effect. Yeah. The Raphael, legendary. Raphael Sadiq and I Badu. wisely said that. Yo, we will never, ever look her in the eye. This is why we avoided that, because it's just, she is that type of Pleiadian. There's some magic there. That type of alien yeah. figure that instantly, yes, I will do anything <laughs> you tell me to do. And literally, so he knocks out the hypnotic. If she ever got it, the hypnotic that faded like a dream sequence that persuaded beyond being infatuated, spiritually intoxicated, calm sedated. I concentrated on how to get in touch with her. Cause the fact of the matter remained that I missed the hypnotic, the hypnotic. And we got time on the clock left. And we have yet to, we know we're kind of birds of a feather. Like, he has his intentions, too. Like, you're about to be my main collaborator. And my thing with him is, like, I think musically, you're the type of musician that's sort of, like, the way that I'm thinking in my head, like, based on your messed up drum program and all these new JD beats I'm hearing, I, I think that you're on that level, too. So the engineer was like, He's like, say no more. So he set up a Rhodes, set up some drums. And for like four hours, like we just started testing each other on songs and doing Earth, Wind & Fire songs, doing Prince songs, doing Roy Ayers songs. And yo, this is this is a moment. So that's kind of where it starts. And then he hits me up like, yo, man, like I never thought I'd meet a musician that thinks like I do. So instantly we start work. So I believe the next week, we start voodoo 
at Battery Studios and we start working on Send It On. There's a song called Bitch with the cri- with the most disrespectful middle finger of a lagging drum beat ever. Enough to jar me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, I've, I've thought about like just messing with it a little bit, but you're like blatantly playing off beat. He's like, yeah, man, like that's the future, man. Like, let's get, let's, he, he just wanted everything dirty. Like, let's, break let's get it. dirty, man. Like, yeah. And so, what he essentially had to do was he had to like he had to groom me for like maybe three weeks, not three weeks, like three weeks to a month to really and and all those work tapes like we'll be jamming, and then suddenly it's like you know we'll we'll be jamming, and then you know he'll be like yo like lay in, lay lay back more in the cut like let it let it drag a little bit, and you know in the beginning, I had a little resistance because I'm like, well. It's kind of breaking the law, right? Like, <laughs> isn't this breaking the law? Like, he's like, nah, man, it's just, it it's like, ghost, it's a feeling. The, the it's ghost a feeling. Of James Brown gonna come through the, the yeah, wall. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, you gotta, in order to drum like I drum, you have to, you you have to to just drop your ego. Like, here's an example. So the process with voodoo is we are basically. Like, uh, we'll go through someone's canon. So let's say, now there's a day where we decided we're going to do all DJ Premier stuff. Oh, shit. So we're just like, we're two hip-hop heads that are not making hip-hop, but we're essentially songwriting in the studio. You're supposed to do pre-production outside the studio, come to the studio with a final idea and record it. But no, we're going to use the studio as our work shed. And, you know, some days we, we'd have some, like literally, like if we have no ideas, then... All right, let's do Rick James today. And we'll just start. And then the, there'll always be a moment where it's like, yo, 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 keep on drumming. Keep on drumming. And then he'll you'll hear him and he'll start playing something. So like songs like Player Player. Songs like uh, uh, Great Day in the Morning. Those were whole other songs that, and Prince used to do the same thing. Like him and Morris would jam to something and once Mars's drums are 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 the foundation then Prince goes back to those bare drums erases everything except for the drums and then creates a whole new song around what Mars just played so that's kind of the process that we're doing for Voodoo so i will say that in 97 early 98 i was like 65% Voodoo 35% things fall apart. So um, this is also the point where we're starting to record sound checks, you know, have a cassette running and we'll do sound checks for two hours when we're on tour in Europe or whatever. So we already had like, like Rozelle's default sound check uh, to test the system um, because we are officially the loudest band in music. When you're in concert, sound company wants you to keep it at 
99 dBs, 105 dBs. The roots are like 145 dBs. Holy shit. But it's not. And the thing is, even though the, the meter is going in the red and sound companies are losing their mind like, oh, we don't have insurance to pay for there's no precedent for it because we're not loud in the sense of mid-range. Yeah. We're not taking these loud rock guitar. But bass, the vibration from the bass is an invisible silence that doesn't register as, will y'all cut that noise down? Uh, to the contrary, most most of our audience is holding their stomachs because too much bass. Hub, too much bass. My kick, too much bass. Rozelle, too much bass. So we were like, Hands down, we learned that from the Beastie Boys. Like, we had to be the loudest. So once we started raising our price up a little bit, the first thing we did was, like, we need double the sound system. Like, do we pocket the money or do we invest in double the sound system? And we was like, nope. More more subs, more kicks, more, oh, 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 oh man, I couldn't take it. Well, why didn't you just go to the back? Because it was so great. <laughs> you know, and that's that's basically, like, our our sonic assault was like our our weapon, so I'll say that one hundred percent Dundee was kind of like Rozelle's default sound check song. He would just do something in C, and then you know come on get on keyboards and do whatever. So we had that in the bag. What does Dundee mean? Um, you know, Tariq is. There was one point where I was leading the the race in Fastinista, fa, like in, in being the the the, the Fastinista of, of the roots, where uh, my dad and mom were really really hip. Like they was rocking Jabos like back in the early '80s, before the '90s comeback and all that stuff. So I would always rock my dad's hip clothes to school, and the kids were impressed. Like, you know, and that's what you say. Like, oh, these are, uh, you know, jeans from France, and you know, I'm I'm hipper than you are. So you know, like they just never seen a black kid dress alt before. Like, wait, your mom let you put holes in your jeans before? You're allowed to have acrylic paint on your thing, and so I will say that Tariq at one point was like really, really impressed with like. Yo, you're wearing a do-rack like Aunt Jemima? Like, it was just like I was the leader. Then suddenly, I think that emboldened him and made him more bold to, like, not dress for around the way. But, like, so Tariq's spot was always Banana Republic. Mm. And the early Banana Republic thing was just straight-up khaki stuff. So we were Jungle Brothers heads. So, I don't know. For him, it's just like, Dundee was just like, you know, a fresh brother that sort of is somewhere in between, not Brooklyn fatigues. Yo, what's up, son? You ready to smoke this blunt, man? Not like that, but like, you know, just like a certain hipness. I know so, what you mean. I, I know the style that, that, that it's invoking now. I think I understand. Yeah, so, you know, just 100% Dundee, so... That was in the, the, the bag, and I think maybe by the last two months, this is the first time we traveled in a circle. Start off in the, in the West, start in the United States, make our way through Europe, um, then go to Japan, where another thing is that before YouTube, I was YouTube. I go to Japan, and our translators like, you remind me of uh, uh, Don Cornelius. And I was like, what do you know about Don Cornelius? He's like, oh, Soul Train. We love Soul Train. I was like, you know what Soul Train is? He's like, yeah, it comes on all the time. I'm like, wait, you know where to find Soul Like, there was no archival thing unless you were a documentarian or had a relationship with Don Cornelius. And I didn't grow up with the VCR until 84. So, you know, 70 sold, you know where to find like vintage 70s things. And my translator on days off would take me to like video villages. And suddenly like 
whoa, the Commodore's live, live in 75 and da 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 And I'm telling my friends, like, guys, you will never guess. So at one point, James Brown is calling Prince and Michael Jackson on stage. <laughs> the greatest piece of video ever. Dude, nobody, when I tell you that was Amir's little boy that cried wolf story. Right. I'm like, guys, for real, I believe... Please believe me. Please believe, <laughs> please believe me. Right. me. I'm like, for real, Prince Michael Jackson and, Prince and James Brown on stage. And I'm like recalling the whole thing. And they just like, I'm hearing his tall tales. And then I bring the tape and they're like, oh my God, that really did happen. So let's give another standing ovation for a young man sitting behind you that you have no idea who's an audience. Michael Jackson, Rose Michael Jackson. I, once I came to Japan, then I had to travel with four giant Kipling bags, two for my clothes and two for just videotapes. And the way that you have a backpack, I would just walk down the street with these videotapes. And for the most part, those videotapes stayed at Electric Lady. So we would just sit. You and D'Angelo would sit We would just watch. sit and watch concert after concert after concert and think of like, oh, we could steal that from Earth, Wind & Fire. We could steal that from Al Green. We could, you know. So that's that's what's happening. So the next movement, by the time we got to Japan and Australia, the last stop on the tour was Hawaii. And then next thing you know, two years has gone by and we've officially serviced Illadelph Half-Life to the world. So we kind of had, we had the next movement and 100% Dundee in the bag. Y'all um, had been performing those or just y'all had recorded them? By the time we got to Hawaii... Because it's in C minor, which is also the same key as like proceed. Then it's like, all right, well, let's throw it in there. Let's let's start the show with that freestyling thing or whatever. And so, yeah, I'll say like by the time we got to Australia, we started throwing in like the next movement. So when we get home, I'll say that the very first song that we recorded um, was, uh, I think I did table contents just to feel my way around the studio. Like it been a minute since the days of Philadelphia Half-Life and I didn't know what direction like, by that point, I was aware that, like, okay, when we do a record, then we clear the table, and then there's something else, and then we clear that table, and now Illadelph Half-Life's this thing. And I didn't want to make a record like that again, where, like, I'm under duress, and I got to save my reputation and, you know, fight to get on my own record. So so then, what is the philosophical approach to the music this time? Well, I did, I, I knew that um, probably the the most important creative spark that we got with things fall apart was going to Detroit, Michigan and T3 and Dilla giving me a cassette copy of fantastic volume one. Bobby, I don't know. Now, there's a there's a, a a preface to that, which is we're in Germany, and I'm checking my pager messages. It's it's um it's Tip's voice, and D'Angelo. Obviously, they're either in like one of their cars or whatever, and all I know is like it's it's they're playing this in the phone. Sarah. But actually, you know, you know, there you go. It sounds more, it sounds more like akin to like a radio. Like I'm listening to this, right? Now, it's 1997, and it's it's actually 96. Long distance is a motherfucker. So when I'm checking my messages, that might be my per diem for the day. That might be 15 bucks just to. 
just to check messages for three minutes. You know what I mean? Hear your girl's voice for three seconds, you know. But when they're playing this in the background, I was like, yo, I could either get some food or I could run to the 7-Eleven three blocks from here and get three phone cards. Get a phone card, yeah. And I got the phone card. And I was like, yo, play me that shit again. <laughs> you know what's funny? That sound like you playing. Well, it was my calling. It was it was it was coming, it was Moses coming to the mountain. It was my come to Jesus moment. And then suddenly, like, I guess they played me the entire fantastic volume one on the phone. The phone bill, I yeah, like I of course ran out the phone cards. $60 worth right there. So you're talking about like a week's per diem. Jesus. That's for me to get some French fries and like to not starve <laughs> in Europe. And I didn't care, man. I was like, yo, okay, we, we got we got backstage snacks. We got uh, turkey meat, uh, some cheese, <laughs> yogurt. I could survive off bread, mayonnaise, turkey, cheese, and yogurt and, and spring water for a week. And one second I got to Detroit, man, and sat, sat in the Dilla Laid. You know, he'd name his cars after him. Him and Frank came and picked me up and took me to the crib, took me to East Detroit. And what year is this? When this you... is ni- this is Smoking Grooves 97. OK, so he puts the fantastic cassette in my hands. And when I brought that on the tour bus, man, Jesus Christ, man, it was like it was like spraying Glade and a stink bathroom. Like it was just <laughs> like this is I'm clearing the air. <laughs> And here's the thing, though. Tariq stole that cassette. I was mad as shit, but I was also happy as shit. Because, like, all right, this is my side of the fence of music. So I know I ain't got to worry about, you know, last last album's, uh, you know, hijinks with trying to keep up with y'all's side of the fence. Now, now the pendulum. That reminds me of a quick personal story I'm going to drop on you yeah. real fast. The summer that album came out, Fantastic Volume 2, I think, is what ended up coming out, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was staying with some of my homies in Chicago in an apartment that we were all just crazy young college student assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, just entertain girls all the time, but they was usually like girls from the neighborhood or girls we worked with. And so an ongoing struggle was us playing music that we like and these girls being like, what the fuck Being impressed. Right. Turn this right. off. Like, right. what? Like, that was the story of the summer. One time, we put on Fantastic Volume 2. And they they agreed? Now, look. Not only was they into it, after they left, we couldn't find it. Because they stole Contraband. Dog. The amount of copies I had to make for people. <laughs> it just became... All of us... Got, I mean, I dubbed cassettes for my whole crew, and it's like, it's just enlightening us. How's he doing this shit? And he explains to me that the first thing they did to make that record, they did it a cappella. He would just put a hi hat on. Get the fuck out of here. And they would do all of their vocal shit. They would rhyme to it. And then he would have to force the will of his creations to whatever thing they say, which is why the music and the lyrics match so perfectly. You were blowing my fucking mind right now. Yeah, man. Yes. We dedicate this to these people out here getting bank. Where the pursuit of the money is reality. Never fall on a click that you can't evaluate. See, I got things out here I need to situate. I got a fresh ass car with some gloss paint. People walking down the street into their feet stain. I got encounters out here having big things. As I sit into the crib with the sachet. In my room with the shot with the big tank. Don't get mad cause we're doing things you just can't. Hey, 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 hey. What you say? And he's he's telling me all the stories like how he's getting the bass tones. He's like, oh, easy. And he puts a he puts a record on the turntable, and he says the needle on the turntable, and the turntable's not running. And he puts the volume all the way to the top, and he's turning the highs down from the from the the mixer, and it's making a feedback noise. And he gets the MPC uh, the the SP twelve hundred. Records that. And then suddenly he puts it on all the keys and now he do now I'm like, this is how you get your bass tones.
I I just became an apprentice at Dilla University. And it's totally validating. Not only is it validating hope, but it's also like requiring me to start from ground zero. In terms of your production? Just in terms of my drumming. I see. I see. Because I thought I was going to have to be the gospel chops. Yeah. Look, mono hands, you know, uh, <laughs> fire juggling <laughs> and all that stuff, which I really, nah, man, I, I wanted to sound like the records we sampled. Right. My whole thing is like, if you're drumming, I'm going to drum the part that makes you like, yo, that's the that's the four bars I want to sample. And yep, folks, we're ending it right there, right when he starts talking about how Dilla changed everything. He gets into a lot more detail about that in our next conversation. So you won't have to wait long to hear more next week. Season four, episode 11 of what had happened was things fall apart. Part two. Stony Island Audio.